0: In this episode, myself and Lon Naylor are going to explore in an interview with David Lieserbrom of Lieserbromlaw.com today's legal issues in not only podcasting and screencasting, but also with new communications vehicles like Periscope and Blab. So let's listen in to this interview conducted over the Skype network with David Lieserbrom about the legal issues of new media, including the new communications vehicles. So let's listen in. Welcome, and this is Fred Castaneda, your host. And today we have a very special guest with us. We have David Lieserbrum, who happens to be an attorney in the area of podcast, video law, new media law. And we also have our co-host, Lon Naylor. And so coming from Star Prairie, Wisconsin, we'd like to welcome our co-host, Lon. Thank you for joining us.
1: Always a pleasure, Fred. This is uh, going to be a good time. It's a good topic, and uh, I'm excited.
0: So, here I am. Much needed, and we welcome our guest, our interviewee today, David Lieserbrum. I hope I've got that right. Uh, let me know if, if what the correct uh, pronunciation is, but he's coming all the way from San Diego. And so, welcome, David, and thank you for joining us.
2: Thanks. Thanks for uh, having me, Fred and Lon. I'm looking forward to talking to both of you guys, and, uh, of course, your, your audience.
0: <laughs> yes. Now, one of the things that uh, people are probably going to ask about is you know where you came from your background your education they know that you're an attorney but you know what was your uh, your work as far as in your past were you part of private sector america or public sector america or nonprofit america or were you just an entrepreneur or on your own in a law firm what just
2: just regular America, I guess. Um, I, uh, Yeah, no, I, I'm from San Diego. Before I went to law school, I attended USC Film School and USC's Marshall School of Business. Um, but I pretty much went right into law school after college. I worked a little bit in the entertainment industry. I worked briefly um, for Miramax films and, um, you know, a few other sort of internship type things in the entertainment industry. And then, you know, just regular jobs like, uh, popping popcorn in a movie theater and, you know, exciting, uh, entertainment industry outposts like that. But yeah, I got, I went into, I went to law school at a relatively young age. So I've been practicing now for, it'll be 13 years next week. Um, and, um, yeah, so I, you know, I worked for a few different firms, but I've had my own law practice for over ten years now. So this uh, seems like what I've, what I've been doing forever, I guess.
0: Hi, congratulations! It looks like you're specializing in new media, especially podcasting and video screencasting, that sort of thing, right?
2: Well, yeah, with my entertainment and media background, it's a pretty natural affinity for me. I, I really enjoy. Being around creative people, to be honest with you, and and it doesn't make that much of a difference to me if that person is creative in terms of the arts or media, or if they're creative in terms of being an entrepreneur and creating products and services for for a community. So you know, any of that kind of energy is exciting to me. So I'm fortunate to work with clients in a variety of different spaces, um, but you know, certainly have a focus in uh, entertainment and new media.
0: Right. I wanted to tell you that Lon and I both uh, were aware of yourself and what you had to offer in your website because of the free resource that you made available, which is called Podcast Law. It's a book. And uh, I wanted to find out, you know, when did this come about? Because your, your podcast show that you launched is relatively new, isn't it? It's just less than a month old.
2: Yeah, my podcast launch, I don't know exactly what day this show is going to go up, but my podcast launched on November 2nd, 2015, um, which is a little bit more than a week ago when we're recording this. I'm really happy that it's been very well received and it's, you know, showed up in a lot of the different new and noteworthy type charts and things like that. Um, You know, that's really flattering. It's called Products of the Mind. It's about the intersection of business and creativity. But yeah, before that, I launched... The book Podcast Law, which is a free ebook, it's available on my site. I can give your audience the link uh,
0: later on. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes for sure. Uh-huh. And and one of the things that that I saw in Podcast Law was the uh, the variety of topics that you have, which podcasters definitely need. I mean, you've got things like trademark tips, copyright, music, and audio clips information, copyright. Information has worked for hire. How to make sure your own is the stuff that you pay for? Monetizing podcasts and five simple rules about endorsements, about ads, about testimonials, and even tips for interviewers, as well as your checklist. And you got a, a checklist there, as well as templates. So, uh, tell us about that. How did you come up with that, and uh, why? Uh, why did you publish that uh, separately?
2: Well, you know, first of all, I enjoy podcasts. I've been listening to podcasts for years. Um, I'm very engaged in that community. I'm fortunate to have a lot of close friends and business relationships in the podcaster community. Um, And from time to time, people would either ask me questions or I would notice people doing things that maybe might get them into trouble and not because they intended to be a bad guy, but because there weren't a ton of really easy, understandable, accessible resources for podcasters and people in new media um, to understand the rules of the road. Uh, you know It's important to me to educate people about these things and to have the right mindset because I look at business law, entertainment law, intellectual property as – well, let me put it this way. Some people are sort of intimidated or scared by these topics or think that these are problems that they need to navigate around. I look at them as tools that you can use to help build your business, to own your content, and – to help you know generate success in whatever field you're in. And giving people access to those tools in an understandable, easy way, pulling back the curtain, you know, I mean, it's not just my business, but it's also something that I'm really passionate about.
0: Right, and I took a look at that book. It was very informative, and, and Lon, you saw that. That was kind of a concise 29-page book that any podcaster and screencaster can understand.
1: Yeah, I thought th- I thought it was really just laid it out there nicely, and had a bunch of the stuff that we need to know, but as was mentioned, we just don't get that information a lot of times because nobody pulls that curtain back. And it was really just uh, a fundamental kinds of stuff that we all really need to be
0: concerned about or at least aware of. Yeah, what kind of feedback have you been getting, David, about that particular uh, book? It's an e-book, mm-hmm. Podcast Law.
2: Yeah, I've been getting great feedback. I've you know had uh, you know, everybody from podcasters that are household names, or at least in the podcast world, household names, to, you know, to folks that are just starting out, have, you know, have accessed it. It's I'm making it available for free right now. So, you know, I've gotten great feedback. Some people have, you know, asked follow-up questions because, you know, the goal, like you mentioned, it's about 29 pages. The goal here was not to write a you know, 500-page legal treatise that might be interesting to myself and to other lawyers, but doesn't really help somebody who's kind of starting out or wants to just master this this means of communication. Um, the goal was just to make it as clear as possible, give you the basic rules of the road, avoid all the little you know gray area detail type stuff um, that really doesn't apply in 99% of cases, and and give people you know really the basics so that they can you know within an hour. Get a good understanding and know what to do and what not to do, um, and uh, fortunately, people have responded to, the matter, to that. And I've gotten I've gotten great feedback.
0: Right, one of the things that you have too are some giveaways uh, in the book. You actually have a podcast law checklist, and then you also have a release. It's a template uh, for. S- an interview, I know we used it for this particular one, but you also have other things on your site as well that are bonuses. You have a, a checklist of intellectual property for entrepreneurs, and also you have the seven keys to finding the right lawyer for your business so uh, it looks like you 're amounting them but tell uh, let 's talk a little bit about. Uh, your checklist here. You've got a checklist for intellectual property for entrepreneurs and you cover trademarks, copyrights, patents, and trade secrets all on one page. And this seems to be a a very good resource that you had. I bet you get a lot of questions about especially trademarks and copyrights, right?
2: Yeah, of course. I I wanted to just put that out there so that people can can keep these things in their mind. You know, it's really about training yourself to well, I don't want to say think like a lawyer because that might sound, you know, that might be off-putting. Um, but to to be to do what we lawyers call issue spotting, when you're getting into something, um, to be aware of when uh oh you're getting that sort of tingle. So this is something I need to think about and just make sure that I'm that I'm doing it the right way. And that's really why I created that intellectual property for entrepreneurs checklist. I wanted it all to be on one page, easily understandable, something that could be handy. You know, you're welcome to frame it. You can do whatever you like with it. Uh, laminate it. Keep it in your pocket, and you know, keep it handy so that you're always kind of just checking back and reminding yourself. Okay, I need to think about uh, make sure that this, you know, this is going to be okay with copyright law, or is this something that could be patented, etc. As if once you get into that mindset of thinking that way, then you'll be able to access these tools to to help continue to grow and build your business.
0: Oh, yeah, I wish I had these available. I, uh, for our listeners, I just want to let, let them know. And Lon, you remember how this was? I actually had a case, where uh, I had uh, another another firm that was infringing on my trademark and copyright, and had to take action. I wish I had had you around at that time because I went through a very frustrating several months. I did I, I did finally get the results I wanted, but it, it was like, uh, oh, geez, As Dave Jackson says, like painting with peanut butter. <sighs> Uh, it's not it's not any fun. Uh, but the other thing you had, too, and I wanted to bring this up, too, is you just recently released a podcast episode, I think it was yesterday, about the seven keys to finding the right lawyer for a business. Uh, about 18 minutes. I listened to it, and it was very very informative. Uh, you actually, I felt like you, you were sitting down across the table, and we were just chatting over a cup of coffee, and you were telling me about things like, here's what you need to understand about finding an attorney, what the attorney needs as far as skills, and you know, wear the resources, and and make sure you're comfortable with this. And, and I, I like the little tagline you had. This is not a till death do us part decision. Tell us about that, please.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I I'm glad you enjoyed it. I've been working with entrepreneurs, like I said, for for many years. That's my passion. I, I'm very fortunate that I get to work with entrepreneurs at all stages. I work with people that are absolutely just starting out, and I work with publicly traded companies and, and um, you know, very successful privately held companies, larger firms, smaller firms, you know, all the above. I, I, you know, I'm I'm agnostic about the size of the, the business as long as it's interesting to me. But especially for people that are, you know, in an early stage or maybe younger or newer to entrepreneurship, there's this intimidation factor that I find. People will call me and they're almost scared to ask questions. And I can just, I can hear it. I can feel it. And it's, it's unfortunate. It shouldn't be that way. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, years of tradition of lawyers. You know, I'm not speaking for all lawyers, but there's a there's, there's a tradition in the industry of kind of keeping that curtain pulled, making you know it seem like we're these sort of wizards who know all, and you know, you just have to rely on us to know everything and don't ask any questions. And I don't like it. That's just not. I don't think that's how it should be. That just doesn't make sense in, in a contemporary society where everybody can be an entrepreneur. So I wanted to put out as many different resources as possible to educate people on the basics of, you know, how do you go about hire a lawyer? And I mean, we get into the, you know, the real nitty gritty stuff, like how do lawyers bill? I mean, when you're starting a business or even if you have an ongoing business, you have to look at the bottom line. You have to be able to understand how much is this going to cost me? How do I invest in this? How do I budget for legal? I don't know. There's just not a lot of resources out there to make that available. And people don't really talk about it in that. I, I think we should. I think we should have open dialogue about all these things. And I guess if there was one takeaway from that, and I'd certainly, of course, encourage your listeners to go, to go check it out. But if there's one takeaway, it's that if you're meeting with an attorney for the first time and you're asking them about, let's say, billing or, or how much it's going to cost or, or you know, just the process, who they're going to be working with, et cetera, and they seem a little squirrely about it, they're not really you know comfortable talking about it, I think that should be a red flag you you know you need to be able to be to understand exactly what this relationship is going to be like and to make sure that your needs are going to be met and and if you're not getting the answers you need you have to be able to to advocate for yourself and to say hey look I need I just need to know this stuff or else we're not going to be able to work together and that's okay because every attorney is not going to be the right fit for every client I certainly know that myself so if I can make this information available to entrepreneurs and, and help them understand how to navigate this process, then, you know, it's going to make the world a better place.
0: Right. And uh, finishing up with the, uh, the the bonus deliverables that you have, there's one in particular which we actually used for this particular uh, interview. And Lon, you saw the template um, that was used and that was actually modified. It was the, the release for a guest uh, interviewee. And uh, now I've used a, temp, a template-based release, gosh, for the past almost 10 years. But I got that 10 years ago from the the, the Berkwin brothers. Remember, the, they were the, the podcast brothers, and they had the release that they offered to the community. But yours seems to be a little bit more detailed, and it covers all the nooks and crannies. Lon, what did you think? Well, I
1: think, um, I, I, first of all, I think it is a little bit different than the other ones that I've seen, and it's one of those resources and things that people really kind of need to be aware of and uh, more and more as people go through interviews and we want to kind of create that type of content it's one of those things that uh, i'm certainly grateful to have uh, because i think you know it just removes some of the ambiguity and the questions about content and the rights thereof that we are creating. Um, I, you know, It's really kind of a gray area out there, and this kind of thing just,
0: man, I, I, I can really use such a thing. Right, and one of the things that podcasters do, and David, you've probably seen this a lot, but Lon, how many times have you had screencasters on your uh, weekly coaching seminar? How many podcasts, podcasters have interviewed people and they don't have a release? And uh, especially screencasters are taking video of people and they don't get a release. And then later on, there could be differences of opinion. There could be uh, suggestions. There could be, you know, suggestion for monetization or compensation. And all of a sudden, things aren't spelled out. And the release at least gives you a definition of of the rights. Uh, For instance, here, we're doing a podcast episode. Well, you, you know, you have to have the ability to say... Uh, the content is yours just as much as mine if that's what both parties agree upon. And uh, I think the release that you've got David uh, seems to answer that because you can't find releases like the kind that you had which by the way is a free release It's part of the book the podcast law book but uh, how did you come up with all these details do you think it's too much legalese or do you think that podcasters will actually use this?
2: Well I tried to keep it as short as possible while still making sure to cover the most important points. Let me just tell you how I use it, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, because like I said, I have my own podcast and I interview people.
0: Um, Well, you actually passed me the release, right? You signed it over to me for this episode, yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh,
2: but uh, what I do just personally is that I just have the release on sitting on my website on a page that's you know it's not something you would just navigate to, but it's you know it's in there. Um, When when somebody agrees to be interviewed on my podcast, I send them the link and say, hey, by the way. These are the terms and conditions that I ask my guests to consent to by coming on the podcast. You're consenting to these terms, and you know here's the link. Check it out. If you have any questions or concerns, let me know. And then that's all I have to do. You know, uh, there are, certainly it's not a bad practice to have people sign, um, but I don't know that it's always necessary. Um, as long as those terms are available and they're, you know, they've been exposed to it, I think you're probably in pretty good shape. And that way, it doesn't, you know, sort of slow down the process by, you know, adding a bunch of admin of sending docs back and forth. But it does just give the guest an opportunity to take a look at it and see what the terms are. And I think you hit on something earlier, which is that any of these, I mean, a release is a contract, right? I mean, it doesn't. We shouldn't get hung up on the terminology. And a contract is just an agreement between two or more people about what the terms are, you know, what it's going to be. You agree to come on my show uh, and you're giving me the right to use that content in the following ways. I agree that that makes sense and those are the terms. Then, you know, boom, we've got a meeting of the minds. We're good to go. Um, it, these are all really, at bottom, very simple, understandable concepts. Um, so if I can make those a little bit easier for people to tackle and understand, I'm, I feel like I'm doing my job.
0: Right. And I find it very valuable. And Lon, uh, how many times in your seminars and your webinars that you give, do you have people who either have had video subjects or talent uh, recorded and have done podcasts as well, and they don't have a release? And, you know, it's, it's what we call a red flag as an entrepreneur.
1: <laughs> well, I think it's it's a couple of things. I, I like the simplicity of this idea. Uh, I love the simplicity of, of this idea of being able to provide that as, you know, a, as something that someone can go to and kind of agree to or not agree to. That's kind of, if, if it's, it could be a good replacement or at least another tactic or method to getting and obtaining a signed release, you know, I, I think that's where a lot of people just kind of, oh man, for for everybody I have to do this kind of thing. Well, if I can just send them to a link, or, or maybe even better, and David, tell me if this might be better or best. If I send them an email in the course of our corresponding to conduct an interview, uh, please visit my my uh, release page here. Peruse it, like you said, and if you have any questions, let me know. Uh, or and reply back with this is okay, or you know I I have questions or something. Having that little bit of correspondence. It seems to me like it's almost uh, a form of acceptance
2: that's certainly true. I mean I, I don't think there's a one size fits all answer for
1: this sure
2: um, and, you know, and I try when i'm dealing let's say with my clients, for example, you know I have my own business too. my clients have their own businesses. I understand where they're coming from, and you know there's there comes a point where I have to stop thinking like a lawyer and start thinking like a real person and understand that, okay, this person has to do their business. They have to do what they're doing. And if I'm piling on requirements and obligations over and over and over again, it's just going to slow things down to the point that they, you know, they're just going to stop listening to me. And that's not really what I want to do. So you need to find the flow that works best for you, whether that's having your... You know, having your guest sign a release, whether it's asking for, you know, authorization via email, just sending them to a link. I don't know that any of these are wrong, but, uh, you know, you got, you got to find what's going to work best for you and your your guests. I mean, if you're interviewing lawyers, they're probably all very comfortable with, you know, printing out and signing a release and sending it over um, because we do that. You know, we have documents all the time that we're dealing with. If you're interviewing, you know, lay people who don't interact with a lot of contracts – on a regular basis, that might slow things down. So it's just going to be different for every circumstance, and uh, it just depends on you know what kind of liability you're taking on based on what you're doing.
0: Do you uh, recommend for those people who don't want to deal with paper and electronic stuff going back and forth and don't want to sign anything, do you uh, recommend having a verbal release prior to the interview?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's better than nothing. But, um, you know, I, I think the solution that I hit upon, which is just to have the release live in a link and just send somebody that link that, you know, where they can open it up and quickly look at, look at everything and just make sure that it's all okay with them, I think that's, that's a little bit better. Um, if you have the verbal release and it's recorded because, let's say, it's part of the pre-interview before it actually goes to air, you know, that's good too. but then, you, you know, every time you have a guest, you have to go through that conversation – which you, may, you may leave some
0: things yeah, out, right? You, you may yeah, it, just,
2: it could be a time factor. You might forget to do it, things like that. Um, but if it's something that's a link that's in your pre-interview email that you send to every interviewee, hey, here's the Skype information or here's the time of the call and here's how it works. And by the way, here's the terms of the release. Then you just don't have to think about it. It's pre-formatted and you know, save yourself the trouble of having to think about things and you know, worry about what you're doing with your business.
0: <laughs> now, yeah, We were talking about releases here, and uh, we mentioned the interviews and the interviewers and interviewees. And that brings us to the topic of podcast episodes. Now, your podcast that you released is called Products of the Mind, but it's a little bit different. It's not a podcast about the legal atmosphere or the legal <laughs> environment of podcasting. You know, it happens to deal with creativity, and this is a little bit different. You know, you've, it looks like you're mixing several different types of themes together the legal theme the business theme and now creative theme tell us about that because it's very interesting well yeah
2: i i guess i sort of alluded to this earlier i started out in the creative arts like i said i was at film school i was a musician somewhat professionally uh, oh really for, what,
0: what did you play uh, what did you I play played bass and guitar and a variety of other things uh well you've got another musician here in wisconsin right, right. yeah i've been a drummer for
1: gosh i don't know uh, forty-eight years. <laughs> okay, well, we got
2: we got a whole rhythm section here, then. You know, we got
1: we got to get <laughs> the band back together. <laughs>
2: exactly. <laughs> um, well, then, Lon, you'll understand. You know, the, working with creative people is—I mean, it has its ups and downs, but it's—you know—it's energizing and fun. Um, and so, I sort of started out in that space, and I—but I also had a passion for entrepreneurship and working with entrepreneurs, supporting them, advising them, helping them grow their businesses and succeed. And, you know, I sort of found myself in two different worlds where I was hanging out with artists, illustrators, uh, comic book artists, podcasters, YouTubers, people who are creative, and then hanging out with business people, you know, sort of during the day uh, in my professional career. And over time, I realized that it was very much the same mindset. You know, if you're creating a work of art or you're creating a product that you, you want somebody to to engage with and use and benefit their life, there's really a very similar mindset that goes on in terms of problem solving, innovation, looking for opportunities. And that was a conversation that I wanted to have. So I'm, I look at the podcast as a set of resources for people. So yeah, I do sometimes have episodes where I'm giving people the, the info about some some legal tools that are useful to them and, or, or like the one where you mentioned where I talk about how to hire a lawyer. And then I have other episodes where I interview innovators in a creative and or business space and explore uh, where that creativity comes from, how they solve their problems, how they came to be where they are.
0: And yeah, and you hardly touch upon the law. It's strictly you know the, the creative environment.
2: Exactly, because I like conversational – uh, podcast, just like the one we're having, where we could talk about just about anything, and you know it relates to a theme. But you know, I didn't want to do something that was totally strictly formatted. I, I wanted the guests to be able to share their insights and, and the value they bring to the world. So it's been a lot of fun. People have responded to it really well, and um, you know, it all it all centers around the same theme, but it's, but every episode is going to have its own unique twist.
0: Right. I actually heard the episode that you had on trademark law. And that for me was, uh, I considered it excellent because, you know, having gone to law school myself some 35 years ago, it's a little bit different. And having had the the trademark and copyright case that I had a couple of years ago where I finally uh, was able to prevail, when I was listening to it, uh, what I was able to take away is you didn't talk too fast and you didn't talk too slow. Uh, too slowly. What what it was is you talked just right so that as you're talking, I could digest it, not just listen to it, but digest it and also internalize it. And that's what I liked about it. I think your podcasts have that that quality that gives it in a format where people can really understand it as you go along, where they don't have to go back and say, "What did he say?" Or uh, it's not for the people who want to put it on two or three times the speed just to get through the content and uh, I see that happening. Now, that was for trademark law. Uh, are you going to do uh, other types of law like copyright law and, and uh, also patent law and things like that?
2: Yeah, I have an episode scheduled about copyright law, giving the basics of that area. Um, and, I've, you know, I've got a few more kind of cooking. Um, to some extent, it depends on what my listeners respond to. If people are looking for information um, about a particular area and I can help them out, then I'll, then I'll jump on and do that. I'm planning on doing some Q&A type shows because people have been responding to the show and sending in questions. Hey, what about this? What about that? You know, as always, the the crowd is smarter than any individual. So, um, yeah, so I'll, I'll certainly be addressing all those kind of things. I, I It's very flattering to hear you, you know, those compliments from you because, I mean, you're really good at what you do. And I, I appreciate that. I've been communicating about trademarks, for example, um, and giving speeches and, you know, everything from one-on-one to talking to, you know, big ballrooms full of people about trademarks for many, many years. And so hopefully I've learned a few things through that time in terms of how to get the message across, how to educate people, how to make it not about me, but about making sure that the person who's listening understands and comes away with some valuable information.
0: Yes, uh, I I agree, and especially when you made that distinction about a registered trademark or service mark and just the regular TM. That's a distinction that has to be there when people create their sites, they create their logos, they create everything else, and they thought, well, I'll just put this in there. And really, there's some law that goes behind it, and, and you don't want them to be liable. Uh, the other thing that I was going to mention, one maybe you can go a little bit into screencasters and what they have, because, as you know, they create from a screen capture facilities, also putting in B-roll films, live uh, full motion video, and things like that, as well as presentations from uh, pl- things like PowerPoint. They put together a screencast and into the form of a video. And uh, videos are a little bit different than, than uh, the regular audio podcasts. Are there any particular distinctive legal uh, issues that they need to be aware of above and beyond audio podcasting. I think Ronald. Uh, I just heard his ears perk up. <laughs>
1: um, go ahead, Lon. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Go ahead with your thought. I'm interested to hear it.
2: <laughs> I uh, Yeah, so let's just kind of define some terms here. Almost anything you're talking about in terms of screencasts and what goes into that kind of content is protected by copyright. So I w- always want to make sure that I don't use legal jargon Unless I define it and make sure somebody knows exactly what I'm talking about, so if somebody in your audience is not familiar with copyright, copyright is a type of law that protects uh, individual works of authorship or art or creativity. So that could be a drawing, it could be a novel, it could be a film, and we're talking about anything from you know Lawrence of Arabia to a you know seven second Vine video and everything in between. It's what we call content. Yeah, content. Right? Uh, it protects blog posts. It protects architecture. I mean, you name it, right? Anything that a person can create is protected by copyright. And yep. so, you know, it differs a little bit country to country. But in the U.S., for example, as soon as you create something and it's fixed, it's out of your head and it's in some medium that people can perceive, whether that's on paper, whether that's, uh, you know, on a computer, you are the copyright owner it's like by magic. As soon as you've created it, you're the copyright owner. So everybody who's listening to this podcast is a copyright creator. Because if you've written an email, you own the copyright. If you've done a doodle, you own the copyright. I mean, it just, it happens automatically. And so what that means for screencasters is that there's all this content that they're pulling from and every little piece might have a different copyright owner. So what does it mean to have a copyright? Well. There's several rights that go along with it, but the most obvious one is in the name itself. It's the right to control who can and cannot make copies of that work. So let's say it's a photo. Uh, If I take a photo or I create an image uh, and I put it on the Internet, it's not automatically owned by everybody. It's not part of the public domain. It's still something that I own. And if, you know, Lon, you want to use that image as part of your screencast – uh, you need my permission. This yep. is the gen- this is the basics now, of course, there can always be some gray area, and you know I probably should say at this point that while I am a lawyer i'm probably not your lawyer if you're listening to this um so you know none of nothing I'm saying is should be taken as legal advice relating to your particular situation, you should consult an attorney. Okay, now, so since I've said that, now, what we're talking about is, especially if you're using the content for commercial purposes, meaning you have a screencast that relates in some way, shape, or form, directly or indirectly to a business, you need to be really careful about making sure that you own the content or you have the rights to the content that you use. And I think that's the most basic issue that people need to you know, just get their heads around, okay, what is a copyright, what does it mean, and what rights do I have? It doesn't mean you can't use anything. There is fair use and there's a variety of other, you know, sort of twists and turns that go along with that. And I you know, I have some information about that on my website as well. You know, understanding the basics of that, that okay, these are all gonna all these elements are gonna be owned by somebody, whether that's me or somebody else, and I need to understand that that, that pathway
1: to getting the rights to, to use this content commercially. Right, absolutely, yeah. and and we talk about things like that all the time. In that it it, when you create something, you do you have the copyright on it. I think the technical term you said automatically, we call it automatically it just, <laughs> like it just happens. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of the deal. And then we also talk about other kind of avenues that make getting that permission a little bit easier. Things like Creative Commons. Uh, and, and whatnot. So, yeah, that's all good stuff.
0: One of the things that Lon emphasizes in his seminar and webinars, especially is when people talk about things like private label rights, or can I use this, or hey, here's some, uh, some types of images, or things that you come out there and you put it, you've got to look at the terms of service and what you're, uh, what you're allowed to do, right, Lon? Yeah, that's a good point, because a lot of the content, that
1: we want to put visually and graphically, for example, into our videos and screencasts and stuff comes from royalty-free sources. There's a good body of creative folks out there that create content that they go ahead and sell, and attached to that are the rights with which you can use that content. So it's, we kind of stress that it's important whatever source you use to garner that content, that you always make sure you read the terms of service uh, or terms of use so that you understand what it is that you can and cannot do with it.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's definitely good advice. Pay attention to those things because you mentioned Creative Commons, right? So Creative Commons is sort of set up as an alternative to copyright or licensing. It's uh, a movement that was created on the internet some years ago to give people information about how they have permission to use content that you own without paying a licensing fee right, right. so i could have let's say a, a clip of music and i could put it up under a creative commons license the basic principle being that somebody else can use that music they don't have to ask permission they don't have to pay me anything but they do have to follow certain rules now there are different types of creative commons licenses and they're always changing <laughs> so it's yeah. not it's not a you know it's not a binary it's not black or white no, um, in,
1: I, in, in fact sorry, i no. have a good i have a good tutorial uh that covers the various creative commons uh areas and and licenses and stuff like that I I think it's kind of an interesting concept because my understanding is that what it does is it basically gives a content creator like me a way to define those permissions and what people can do uh, and not do with them without contacting me directly and getting my my permission.
0: (laughs) As well as the permission from the label and from the author or from the singer or from the talent.
1: Well, the content creator.
0: Yeah, you had ten different people. You had a uh, in the area of music that you had to contact right before you could even use anything before, and that's uh, the ben- the benefit of Creative Commons license. I think is that one stop shop as long as you adhere to the terms, you're okay. Yeah, I,
2: I agree. That's that's a really excellent way to uh, to describe it. But I would caution people just to be careful because I have a blog post that's coming out in a few weeks about a uh, a lawsuit. Uh, somebody used an image that was licensed under Creative Commons, but there was a question about whether or not the uh, party that used the image actually right. followed the Creative Commons license and it got down to really detailed stuff like you know where in this document did they you know provide the link to the proper license and the name and you know so the the, the party that used the image that you know they thought, okay, this is Creative Commons, I'm fine, and they ended up winning the lawsuit. But they spent God knows how much on legal fees defending their position. So you have to be prepared that you know be really careful about how you use these things. I don't want to say that to scare anybody. I don't want anybody to not you know communicate online because they're terrified of of violating somebody's rights. Uh, you know you shouldn't have to go that far. But you should train yourself with best practices to always. Just take another look. Make sure, okay, what kind of license is this? Stock photos are the same way. Stock images, stock video. They every different stock photo, photo place has a different set of rules. So you got to make sure you're you're following the rules.
0: Yep. And and today there's a new type of media format that ha, that probably is getting new rules defined all the time. And we're talking about the the new video and streaming types of. Communication vehicles, you know, like Meerkat, Periscope, especially Blab, uh, because what happens if you get four people on a Blab, right? It's the Brady Bunch, but one of the Bradys doesn't want <laughs> the, w- the doesn't want that communicated because they uh, they say, you know, I shouldn't have said it, I shouldn't have actually uh, had the that kind of content created with my voice on it, and so they don't want it. They don't want that to be promoted, and now you've got a problem, right? Because again, you got to have the permission of these people.
2: Yeah, the law. The law sometimes is playing catch up, and that's the world we live in because the law moves slowly. And
0: you know, yeah. What do you say about things like blab? Uh, can you give us some, you know, some key pointers about blab? Uh, the things that podcasters and screencasters should be aware of.
2: Yeah, I think live streaming is fantastic. I really enjoy it. Let me give you an example, like Periscope, for example. Um, I I go to San Diego Comic Con every year. I speak there. I've been doing so every year since 2008, right? So that's probably the biggest pop culture media convention in the country, uh, if not one of the biggest, then you know pretty pretty close to it. 150,000 people there. So, and this was last year. Periscope had just come out a few weeks or months before, so it was a brand new thing. And the convention put out a uh, a statement that attendees were not allowed to use Periscope meerkat this was before blab even had launched so blab you know would have been included inside the convention floor i was walking around the convention and i can't tell you how many people i saw holding up their phones and i was you know walking behind them so i could see they're you know they're on periscope or meerkat i could see the little hearts going and all that kind of stuff um you know and i don't i think sometimes these people just didn't even know what the rules were um so the rules are changing um if you're using something just kind of for fun All right, maybe sometimes you could be a little casual about it, but if this is related to your business, um, you need to always ask – let's say if you're going somewhere to an event, to a sports event, to a a conference – are, am I allowed to do this? Can I live stream this? Can I do a blab where you know I'm at an event and somebody else is you know in their office and we're talking about it and engaging? Um, you just need to need to make sure that you're that you're following the rules. Um, and also, yeah, what you mentioned you know if you're doing a blab or, or whatever, I mean, I'm sure by the time this interview comes out, you know, even if it's next week, there probably will still be something newer than that. Yeah, you need permission from everybody else who's involved if you're going to use that content. Uh, you know, if, you're, if I'm on a blab with you and uh, I want to take that and post that on my website for free, I need your permission because you're providing your end of the content. And so, again, it all goes back to this, you know, just talk it through beforehand. Make sure everybody is on the same page. Don't be afraid to have that conversation. Don't be afraid to say, OK, here's what I'd like to do with this. Is everybody OK? Yes. All right. Then let's go for it
0: right I know in the new media Expo there were uh, a few shall we say faces like definitely sour tortoises <laughs> looking around and I say that only because they they were getting upset because uh, here people were paying you know five hundred nine hundred dollars to attend and they get their little badges where they can go into uh, the uh, the main tent session or this particular session where somebody uh, is restricted because they had to buy a badge to get in and yet there were so many people that were periscoping this they were scoping it out to the world and i just said to myself you know this is not right <laughs> these people these people paid to get in and now what you're doing is you're showing it and putting it up on twitter so the whole world can see this and dilute the value of of that uh, that entry into this this member site yeah
2: it's i mean it's an issue some conferences like it because that helps get the word out and some of them don't you know i mean i could say the opposite of what you said you know fine i'm sitting at a conference somebody else is periscoping it but i get to talk to you on the way out and make an actual real world connection somebody watching on twitter they don't have that you know they don't get that networking benefit so you know mm-hmm. i could see it both ways but from a legal standpoint you want to make sure you know what the rules are because if you don't know what the rules are you're not going to know when you're breaking them
0: yeah, i think for the podcasters and screencasters that's one thing Lon, that people have to be Careful about now is they they have to think that this falls into the the area of content they created and has intellectual property rights, especially with things like blab
1: yeah absolutely and i I love the line if you don't even know the rules, how do you know you 're breaking them
0: <laughs> and a lot of people don 't know that, but th- I think that'll that'll come through with the conferences that are that are being scheduled and and this sort of issue that's that 's cropping up uh, one of the things I wanted to. Uh, to, to, go, to go on a different uh, a different theme is yourself uh, David. what kind of services do you specialize and provide for screencasters and video producers and podcasters I mean do you do you create things like joint venture agreements, which is another a whole topic in itself or uh, registration for copyrights trademarks things that these people don't understand and probably uh, don't even know how to maneuver themselves in the in the web in the trademark and copyright patent office
2: well yeah, thanks for asking. I help clients both all over the country and all over the world, navigate these things. And that could be anything from forming a corporation or an LLC or a partnership, JV agreements, strategic partnership agreements, filing and protecting trademarks and copyrights, dealing with employment issues. I mean, just all the different kind of uh, set of things that an entrepreneur is likely to run into, I I either assist with or I collaborate with other attorneys directly to, uh, to handle that. So... You know, I I enjoy working with entrepreneurs, and I've kind of seen many, I won't say all, but many of the different things they're likely to run into, and and if I can consult and advise them and and help them stay out of trouble, then uh, it was a good day.
0: Mm -hmm. I have one instance here I'd like to just uh, count as a little case in point, and that is uh, I was in a situation, this was years back, uh, as a podcaster with uh, three other people. And one of them was very famous in the potosphere. I'm not going to name who he was. But we had four specialties, and we were all agreeing to create a membership site. I was going to do this and that. And on the surface, everybody got very excited. So I said, let's all meet here centrally. So people flew in, and we met face-to-face. And the one thing that we did was we talked everything through about what were the terms and what we expected to get out of it. And then at the very end, the last two hours of the meeting, I said, okay, now we're going to uh, have on YouTube an attorney come in (laughs) and we brought him in and we basically talked through the terms that we wanted so that he could draw up the contract and agreement and it wasn't one of us just uh, promoting our own agenda it was all together and what that did is it helped everybody solidify oh my goodness this is a contract here's what I'm agreeing to here's the terms And uh, as a result, a couple of people bowed out, and and the project didn't happen. And the reason for that is once you get past the excitement stage and you're going to be serious about signing a contract and an agreement for all of these people, now you know exactly what's expected from everybody. And that's when, you know, it's better to have the people withdraw then than to go into the venture and then all of a sudden have problems of non-participation and revenue sharing, uh, disagreements, and things like that. Uh, It helped me tremendously. It helped us totally, and that's one of the things that I would recommend, and uh, I think you do the same types of things over the network, right, with your clients, don't you, David? Yeah, I mean,
2: it, that to me sounds like a good story, because you probably all saved yourself some real trouble, some real heartache, some real expense. Because it sounds like, on some level, everybody wasn't on the same page. And that's okay. I mean, that's the reality of life. You know, you don't necessarily go from the first date to the altar. It's not always going to work out. Sometimes you have to keep looking for that right connection. And the people that you're working with, you know, this might not be the right time and place for them right now. That doesn't mean you're never going to work with this person, and you're never going to have an opportunity to collaborate. It's just not – everybody might not be in the right stage uh, for it to click. And the earlier – you can find that out; the better you're going to be. Again, this is a this is a best practice to train yourself on. You know, have that comfort level to address issues beforehand. To you know, to bring somebody in, whether it's an attorney or mediator or whatever the case may be, to talk these things through. It could be a mentor. It could be another trusted third party. It doesn't always have to be an attorney. But the point is. Um, Having those conversations, if you're able to have tough conversations with your potential partner or partners in an early stage, um, then first of all, that shows that you know when things get rough, because every business is going to have its ups and downs, you're going to be able to communicate, and also it'll help surface issues that might be enough of a red flag to not continue with the process, and that's a win. I mean, you know, I wouldn't look at that as a failure; I would look at that as a success. You explored a venture, you addressed potential issues, everybody wasn't in sync, so you went your separate ways and that's okay.
0: Right, especially the one thing that I could see as a lesson learned from this is that, for me, the most important part of any kind of agreement, whether it's a joint venture agreement or a contract or a partnership or anything, is the exit strategy agreed to. You know, if, if the business does not deliver and if people want to go separate ways or they want to leave the business, then here's the way it's going to be done calmly, professionally, and in harmony as opposed to, you know, having uh, arguments and discussions like that.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm with you right now. It's not uncommon for me to be dealing with clients. I'm working with one right now who, you know, it's two partners, they've been in business for a while and, you know, they're having some challenges because they're sort of moving in different directions and they, you know, they never in an early stage they really didn't uh, either take the time just because they were really busy. Their business was really successful right off the bat, which is great. But they, you know, they didn't really kind of get into the nitty gritty of, of what happens if this happens and what the exit is. And now, um, you know, unfortunately, it's a little bit complicated. I'm, you know, we're working it out, and everybody's, you know, n- nobody's fighting. It's not, you know, we're not going to court. But uh, if they had had the opportunity in an early stage to really sit down, hash these things out, and get it in writing, then you know, it certainly would have saved them a lot of trouble down the line.
0: Yes, uh, exactly. Especially on the exit strategy, uh, David. One of the things that I uh, I am asking you for is not only your contact information, but where you plan to be in the next few years. Where do you see your business growing? Are you going to go into another area?
2: Well, I mean, honestly, I like working with entrepreneurs, like I said, and that's going to lead me into directions that I can't anticipate. Because, you know, a few years ago, I wouldn't have thought I would be working with YouTubers, podcasters. Um, people in new media because, you know, when I started out, those things didn't exist. So I don't want to predict what the next, uh, you know, what the economy is going to generate next. You just got to be able to ride that wave. And, uh, you know, this, I'm in San Diego, so that's uh, that's the way we communicate
1: here. That's <laughs> the way you roll there, right? It's the way we roll. <laughs> you know, pretty um, soon, it'll just be beaming information directly into people's heads. We don't, ex- you know. I mean, exactly. But, you know, a year ago, you and I wouldn't have been having a conversation about
2: Periscope and Miracan and Blab, um, but now those are important issues that we're addressing. So, um, you know, I don't want to predict what some, some genius tech person or some, you know, some new products or service are going to be, but I just want to be there to help people navigate the issues that come up at that moment.
0: Okay, yeah, well, especially with all the things that are going on. And so uh, I know we could be here all day talking, but I wanted to ask about your contact information and where they can get the free resources that we talked about.
2: Sure, okay. So my podcast is called Products of the Mind, and um, all these resources can be found at productsofthemind.net, which is my website. It goes you know to all the different content I have. I've got... Oh, I don't know. 250 blog posts about all these different types of issues that I've created, you know, over the last four, five years. I've got the podcasts are on there. The free resources people can go to productsofthemind.net/slash-checklist to get that IP for entrepreneurs checklist we talked about. And uh, yeah, they can they can get all the info there, or they can find me on Twitter at David Lizerbrand. You could probably put that in the show notes in case somebody doesn't know how to
0: spell it. I will and your web, your website too what is it lizardbramlaw.com, yeah. they have they have links to all your resources exactly. as well exactly
2: you can go to either lizardbramlaw or products of the either way it'll bring you into the same channel where you can access all that information and i love to hear back from people uh, you know when i'm working on something whether it's a checklist or a ebook or you know a blog post podcast whatever it might be it can be a, it can be a lonely journey But I I think of these things as a conversation, not a solo act. So um, I love to hear back from people, whether that's asking questions, follow up. Can you address this? I really like this. Can you clarify that? Can you do this better? All that type of feedback is is fantastic for me because then I'm going to know where to go next.
0: Okay, well, thank you very much for, you know, for the uh, offering to give these free resources to people and the value that they bring. And also, again, congratulations for launching your podcast. You've joined the world of podcasters now, so Lon and I have welcomed you into our our little humble potosphere element here, and uh, I hope that you are very successful. As with most podcasters, I bet you in a year you're going to have more than one show. <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> one at a time. <laughs> Uh, Anyway, thank you very much for joining us. And Lon, do you have any other questions or comments or feedback about what we are talking about today or as a wrap? I think as a wrap, I'd just like
1: to thank David for his time and some pretty good nuggets and stuff. I'm looking forward to really kind of uh, diving in and interacting with some of the tips and content that we talked about today. I'm going to put uh, probably my release on a web page. I'm going to start testing that thing out and see... uh, I
0: love that idea. So thanks a lot. Mm-hmm. And so thank you very much, uh, David Liserbram of com, for joining us and talking about not only the legal aspects of screencasting, podcasting, but also what he brings to the table in his own podcast show and especially with with his focus on creativity, about business, and about podcasting and law. So thank you very much, David. We really enjoyed having you. My pleasure. Okay. And thank you very much, and we'll see you next time.